Case number 22-1166, East Texas Electric Cooperative, Inc. et al. Petitioners versus Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Mr. Rose for the petitioners, Mr. Kennedy for the respondent, Mr. Kaiser for the respondent intervener. Whenever you're ready. May it please the court. Four issues before this court concern the arbitrary and capricious FERC approval of APUS manipulation of its formula transmission. Issue one is procedural, remaining issues substantive. Issue one, challenge period. That breaks down into two issues. What does the tariff protocol section 5D say in Mackey Harrison? And two, what does FERC precedent say in Mackey Harrison? Let's turn to the tariff. Can I ask you a question about that before you proceed? Even if there were some longstanding practice of backwards error correction, do you agree that that could be superseded by the terms of the protocol? The terms of the protocol has to itself be just and reasonable. Now, I appreciate that this is not a contract. This is a tariff protocol. And tariff protocols are judged on whether they are just and reasonable, not on whether the parties agree to them. So, but you think that this case is determined by the protocol, section 5D. And if section 5D were contrary to a longstanding practice, if it chose to override a longstanding practice of backwards error correction, it could do that, correct? It can do that. So, do we even need to think about what the longstanding practice is? Or do we just need to look at section 5D and what it means? Well, the longstanding practice informs this court as to how FERC should be interpreting that tariff provision. I see. But on the other hand, you have not made an argument, and I don't think you could argue that enforcing time limits on this tariff process would be unlawful, would violate the Federal Power Act. Your only argument is based on what FERC has approved in other cases. That's correct. Which sort of puts an exclamation point on Judge Pan's question. And I'll explain exactly why that precedent FERC has is so important in interpreting tariffs. The first issue is, does the tariff protocol unambiguously bar backward error correction? Well, it's actually whether FERC could reasonably construe the protocol to do that. Well, you have to get past whether the language is ambiguous or not. If it is ambiguous, then you go to whether FERC's interpretation is reasonable. So if you're within the range of reasonable disagreement, FERC wins? No. It's not whatever FERC says. You don't think FERC has interpretive authority over tariff provisions? They have interpretive authority, but it has to be reasonable. And that Chevron type... If we're in the zone of reasonable disagreement. That is correct. That is correct. And that kind of interpretation depends on looking at the text, structure, purpose, and history of the protocol. 
turning to the issue of is the protocol itself unambiguous, looking at the APOS protocol section 5D, which makes it challenges to current annual update, future annual update, and doesn't say anything at all about previous annual update. But weren't the previous, I'm sorry, but weren't the previous updates subject to section 5D? That's our claim that is that section 5D says nothing at all about previous annual updates. Here's language. A given annual update. Yes. Which would seem to cover 2018 as well as 2019. No, it covers the annual update facility has filed. It doesn't say anything about previous annual updates. But in 2018, section 5D applied. Yes, it did. So under that reading, then you have to bring challenges to 2018 in 2018. No. The language itself talks about the language. Appreciate we're talking here, all sections of section 5D, it is talking about you have an annual update, you make a challenge to that annual update. That does not prevent you from making other challenges that you missed. But you should have made it into, doesn't under this provision, shouldn't you have made challenges to 2018 in 2018? No, that's not, that's not the right way to read the language. Why not? Because this applied in 2018. So you had a chance to, to challenge 2018 errors in 2018. Let me explain. There is language that would do that. You can find that in the Evergy Kansas protocol, which FERC said was informative. It is informative, but not for the reasons that I think. The Evergy Kansas protocol. Let's just, let's just talk about this one. This does seem awfully clear. It talks about a given annual update, the indefinite article A and the adjective given. That doesn't mean the one, the one and only annual update that is the most recent one under litigation. A annual update means there's going to be a whole series of annual updates. You know that in advance, but this language. And a given annual update would seem to refer to all of them. No, you want to, you want to get the series of annual updates. You'd use language like each annual update, which is what the Evergy protocol says, but that's not here. That language is simply not here. So if the court believes that there is a logical possibility of interpreting this language to not address backwards error correction, then at the very least, the language is ambiguous. If the language is ambiguous, then this court looks to see if FERC's tariff interpretation is just and reasonable. I'm sorry, we looked to, I didn't hear you. Then we looked to see whether FERC's tariff interpretation satisfies the arbitrary and capricious standard. If the court will look at this. I'm sorry, counsel. I really want to understand your argument. So the language says, failure to pursue an issue through a preliminary challenge or to lodge a formal challenge regarding any issue as to a given annual update shall bar pursuit of such issue with respect to that annual update. Correct. I don't understand your argument as to why you didn't have to bring up a challenge to the 2018 tariff in 2018 under this provision. In 2019, that annual update 
was the 2019 annual update. I understand that, but this also applied in 2018. So your chance to do that was in 2018. Only if you make that assumption, but that's not in the language itself. How is that an assumption? Because you're assuming that that annual update goes backwards. Where is that language? It says any issue as to a given annual update shall bar pursuit of such issue with respect to that annual update. Yes. So in 2018, any issue as to that annual update in 2018 should have been raised then. Failure to pursue it in 2018 shall bar pursuit of such issue. No, it doesn't apply. Why? Because you're dealing with, and the language is clear about this, you are dealing with a given annual update and then its implications for the next annual update. That's for 2019, but I'm saying you want to raise error correction from, for example, 2018. But in 2018, 5D applied. Yes, it did. And for 2018, whatever challenges we made applied then. But you can always find errors later on and apply it backwards to 2018. I don't understand how the language allows that. Because it does not address backward error correction. It simply doesn't say that. There is language that can address backward error correction, but they didn't use that. Well, how does Section 205 and 206 of the Federal Power Act play into this thing? Well, let me explain it this way. With stated rates, the utility must wait for the Commission's decision to change its rates. The cost of service formula rate, the utility changes its rates, then the Commission takes a backwards look to make sure that the final rate tracks the actual cost to the utility. There's no good reason to limit the backward error correction. That's a Section 205 type of proceeding when you have a formal challenge. Why not? I mean, there are strong anti-retroactivity principles built into the statute. That would be true. It's a five-month period built into 205. That would be true for the formula rate, which is the formula itself, which is the rate. But it is not true for the data inputs. Those are never approved as final. You can always bring, and FERC will admit it, a 206 case with backwards error correction. And 206 has anti-retroactivity principles built into a refund period. It's very odd that for this little kind of process that's sort of in the gray area between 205 and 206, you can go back to the beginning of time when under either prong of the statute, you can only go back so far. Well, it's not so odd, even according to FERC. Since the days of fuel adjustment charges, FERC has explicitly allowed, in case after case, error correction and prudence challenges that go back to when the error first appeared and at whatever time the error or imprudence was discovered. Can you explain, maybe it's just my lack of familiarity with FERC, but why is this claim properly brought under 205 instead of 206? Because it seems to me to be a procedural overarching thing and not about specific things. There is a formal challenge process to a rate. And the formal challenge process is 205-like because the utility has the burden of proof to justify a particular cost of service, its data input. But the claim seems to be that there's a procedure going on about backwards error correction that you think is not fair and just. Shouldn't that be brought under 206? No. That would be a challenge to the 
formula. We're challenging the right and the protocols themselves to make a backward error correction. Okay, so if we interpret the protocols to be unambiguous and to favor FERC's interpretation, if you wanted to challenge that, then you could bring it under 206. That's correct. Okay. Appreciate, however, that FERC's position, if they're right on Section 205, uh, on Section 5D, that would apply to both 205 formal rate challenges and to 206 challenges. Oh. Yes. Why? For data input. Because it, it's barring backward error correction, which is what FERC would argue. It bars backward error correction for both kinds of challenges. Yet you have this extensive FERC precedent that, yes, you can make backward error challenges under 206. You just wipe that away. So is it correct that all the precedents would be relevant to a challenge under 206 to say this is just not fair and just the way of doing this? Yes. Okay. But, but they're not really relevant under this 205 challenge because we're just interpreting what 5D means. If you decide that Section 5D is unambiguous barring backward error correction, then what is relevant is only that the 206 challenges seem to have gone away as well. And that's just not correct. So this would be a precedent that would govern a 206 challenge? Is that what you're saying? Why? Yes, this, five, this 5D protocol language is used throughout the industry based on the old MISO protocols, the big FERC inquiry into the uh, justice and reasonableness of how you do transmission formula. But that doesn't mean that you can't challenge it under 206. We Does could, it? We, we could challenge the formula for 206. But the data input, we could never challenge again. But it wouldn't be a data Even input. Even under a 206. I'm sorry. I just want to make sure I understand this. If we think that 5D language is unambiguous, in this case under 205, my question was, can you then raise a challenge to this procedure under 206 by saying it's not fair and just? And I thought your answer was yes. But then you said that your 206 challenge would be governed by our reasoning in this 205 challenge, and I don't understand why. I'm, I'm distinguishing between a 206 challenge, the data input, errors in data input. But your 206 challenge would not be to data inputs. It would be on the procedure of backwards error correction being limited. That's the second. That's the other aspect. And that yes. would not be governed by the 205 decision we make in this case. Correct. Okay. Thank you. 206. FERC, FERC says parties have a degree of ability to limit backward-looking challenges under the tariff protocols, and they say that does not that that is okay, and only if 206 challenges are unlimited. Correct. The 206 challenges to formula rate, you can always formula itself, and that you can always uh, bring a challenge to the data input and get backward error correction for the data input. Challenges to successful challenges to the formula are prospective only. I thought challenges to the formula could be retroactive. That's the 206 challenge. No, to the, if it's a challenge to the formula, that's perspective, and you win, that's perspective only. 
the data input are not part of the formula. They're just data input, and that you get back what error correction for. Okay. Yeah, but that was not my understanding of 206. I thought the back 205, error 205 and 206 both have within them challenges to rates and to classifications, practices, and regulations affecting such rates. My understanding is all of this, um, all these protocols are implementing statutory language about classification, classifications affecting rates under 205. Yes. None of that addresses your ability to use 206 to challenge not only rates, but classifications affecting rates. I'm not sure what you mean by that. We're talking about Section 205? Talking about, yeah, whatever we would say, whatever we would say in this case about the permissibility of um, this kind of time limit in the tariff protocol. The tariff protocol can require um, you to challenge the inputs year by year, correct? Yes, it specifically allows you to challenge each annual well, require require you to do it year by year. Yes. Well, they have to file it year by year. Yes. As a challenge to the classification affecting rates under Section 205. I guess I'm just not seeing why that bars you from invoking 206 to challenge the classification. If you read the language that FERC does, that it applies to all the bar challenges apply to all previous annual updates, that knocks out a Section 206 challenge to the data input. And that's contrary to FERC precedent. But not if your 206 challenge is challenging the formula and that's the protocol as applied. So my understanding is, correct me if I'm wrong, you have challenged the application in this case, Section 5D, that protocol. If we decide that Section 5D is unambiguous and it means backwards error correction is allowed under Section 5D, you could go under 206 and say, I want to challenge the formula and the protocol, not the application of it, but what it is, and say it's not fair and just. And in that case, you could have a separate case that challenges not the application of it necessarily in Section 5D in this, or actually it is, not, not in this case, but generally speaking, the way we've interpreted is not fair and just, and so you want to overturn the protocol. And that would be under 206. And my understanding was that you could get backwards error correction under 206, because there are a lot of cases that seem to say that. But you're saying you couldn't get backwards error correction under 206? Because if in 206 you were able to get a holding that this provision, which we've held to be unambiguous, is not fair and just, you could then challenge the provision that way, and then you could get backwards error correction, because the formula, as it was written and as we've interpreted it, was not fair and just. Is that the correct? Now, the, the change to the formula, if we, that all proceeds as you describe it, would be prospective only. It would, okay. And then we can start making backward error correction arguments 
if we won that issue, subsequent. Under 205? That's what we would win if we won on the challenge of the protocol. If you succeed in a challenge of the protocol under 206, then you would file backwards error correction under 205 based on the new interpretation of the protocol? Yes. It would be 205 for me to challenge it. Okay, I see. Because we would have held in that instance that you could backwards correct because that was not fair and just. So you would then go under 205. I had the same question you did, and we found an opinion putting this stuff under 205. Okay. What's happening here. Thank you. Are there any more questions? Not on this issue. Thank you. We'll give you rebuttal. Good morning, Your Honor. Robert Kennedy on behalf of the commission. Can you just walk us through the mechanics of this? I mean, I look at 205 and 206 to see what I see. You all seem to conceptualize this process for challenging inputs on the backward end of a formula rate tariff as its own thing. We've said it implements 205. Right. Feels like it's somewhere in the middle. You've heard the question. I was going to try and jump in and hopefully clear the waters. I think an initial question from you, Judge Pan, was sort of, are we talking about whether this provision is just and reasonable? And the answer is no. That's been decided. This is part of the Section 5D is part of the filed rate. So cases like Seminole, the First Circuit Boston Edison case in Oklahoma Gas say the question in this case is just whether it applies and should it be enforced, not whether as a policy matter it makes sense. If they wanted to change that, they would say the formula rate protocols are unjust and unreasonable. They would file a complaint under Section 206 and get the formula and the related protocols changed going forward. In this case. And if they did that, they could get limited retrospective relief through the refund period within the refund period. I mean, they couldn't go back as many years as they want. Well, to make things even more confusing. So just as to the protocol, that would be changed. And whatever they change it to, that would govern the next annual update. And whatever it says about going back under this paraphrase process, that would govern. In the cases where the commission is, where there is a Section 206 complaint and the party wants to get relief, putting aside, there's no similar protocol language. But just in the abstract, if a party says, this is 2023, there's been a discovered an error. It's affected the rate since 2020. They bring a complaint under Section 206. What the commission has held there is that it can order retroactive relief. It's doing, and it's not bound by the time period in Section 206, the refund time periods, because it's here for complexity. It's using Section 309. And the court has found that. But again, that's not the case here. And the commission has made clear that this is a, if you want to go that route, you can. We're talking here about the paraphrased challenge procedure. And that has to be governed by what the procedures say. We believe the commission's interpretation of 5D is consistent with the language. We talked a lot about the express language. We obviously think this falls right in. 
It's consistent with precedent and also policy. With respect to precedent, the, um, in the reply brief, the petitioners note that uh, this, was, this is a copy of the protocols that were eventually developed in the Commission's Midwest ISO proceeding, which sort of kicked off an, <clears throat> excuse me, an industry-wide review of these formula rate protocols. Um, and in the reply, they say, oh, we relied on that. We adopted that precedent. Well, if you look at final compliance order in that case, it expressly addressed the sentence that we're fighting about here today. Um, and there's a lot of Midwest ISO cases, so it's 150 FERC 61025. And if you look at paragraph 35, uh, some of the uh, customers say, hey, we think we need to qualify this language more. It could be read as, inter as affecting our Section 206 rights. In paragraph 43, the tariff... Uh, the uh, transmission owners say, no, no, that language has nothing to do with Section 206. That's separate. All we're saying with this language is you can't use challenge process to challenge prior rate years. Paragraph 50, Commission accepts the language. It says Section 206 is a separate thing. What this language is doing is saying that interested parties um, can only use this challenge process for the, for the current rate year. Um, so the Commission's interpretation of Section 5D is consistent with that. Um, and it's also consistent with policy. You know, it put in place uh, this robust protocol process to impose transparency obligations on the transmission owners, discovery obligations. There's, there's a robust exchange of information. But it also wants the customers to be engaged. Uh, and, this, and the section, limitation, Section 5D, encourages that and also furthers the goal of rate certainty. But it does so without affecting their ability, if they want, to pursue um, input errors going back in time. Um, Through 206. Correct. Correct. Um, I'm happy to talk about any of the other uh, issues if you have questions about the coal or the tax. Let me ask you. I had thought on, the, on this first question, I had thought there were two parts to the question. One is what does the tariff mean? And then the second is did the agency adequately explain its decision to um, enforce the tariff limitation based on things that it had said in other cases. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just wondering, uh, Judge Pan suggested, you know, maybe we don't even get to the second question if the tariff is unambiguous. The tariff is unambiguous, it governs unless it's inconsistent with the statute, and there's no statutory claim here. Correct. So that's the end of it. Correct. All we need to do is construe the tariff unambiguously in your favor, and then end of Q1. I, I think that's correct. In paragraph 13 of the hearing order and elsewhere, the commission has made clear that this isn't a statutory issue. It's just a tariff-based uh, issue. Um, we think the language um, compels the results here, but we also think if there is any, any ambiguity, uh, the Commission's certain reason. Just if I, if I can for a moment on the, there's there's been a lot of talk about um, you know what the Commission does in reviewing these formula rate filings and examining the inputs and what's permissible and what's not. Just to take a step back, you know the uniform system of accounts has 50, 100 something accounts. It tells the utility. This is where you put all your expenses. This is where you categorize your revenue. Those are the inputs. Formula rate takes those inputs and says, okay, we're going to put this, these accounts in this bucket. 
That's what the utility can charge its customers. We're going to take these accounts in this bucket. That's what the utility has to uh, cover itself. So in examining the formula rate updates each year, the Commission will, consider, will make sure that the right costs are in the right account. Um, it will also uh, consider prudence challenges. Did you prudently incur those costs? But what it won't do is rearrange the buckets and say, oh, you don't think this account should be in the customer bucket. That has to be done. That's changing the formula rate, and that has to be done under Section 206. Um, unless there's any questions from the court, I'll stop there. Thank, Thank you, you. We appreciate it. Yes, we have an intervener. Mr. Kaiser, and you might want to lower the podium. Hey, please, the court. Yes, Your Honor. We have an intervener, William Kaiser, on behalf of the intervener, Electric Electric Power Service Corporation, supporting the So I want to take a minute because there's a lot of discussion about Section 205 and 206, and I'm happy to answer questions on that. But I do, and I think FERC counsel did a really good job of kind of explaining the nuances of how they work. But I think it's important to recognize that when the protocols, both the protocols and the formula rate itself, which is the template as, as our council is explaining, are submitted by the utility, they're done so under Section 205 of the Federal Power Act. And FERC does review and approve both. Right? Once they're established, only then, and once FERC finds them just and reasonable or approves them, then you can challenge them under Section 206. But once they're established, the only way you can challenge that, including Section 5D, would be under a Section 206. And during the establishment process, there's also an opportunity to, I guess, comment and Absolutely. oppose, for Absolutely. example, a section like 5D? Absolutely, mm -hmm. yes. There's an opportunity for uh, participants to, to intervene and, and raise challenges. Um, and the commission will consider that and you know, will issue an order kind of ruling on those. And that's what um, your friend was referring to in this MISO Correct. case where there was a challenge that this was going to affect people's rights under 206, and there was a clarification that, no, this is just a 205. That is exactly thing. right. And there's okay. there's another case that we cite in, in our brief, which is uh, one of our affiliates, American Electric Power East, where we had language in there limiting the ability to not only similar language to here, where sort of limit the ability to go back after the uh, annual update process is closed. We also have language in there limiting the ability to file a complaint under Section limit that, and the commission struck that and distinguished between the two. They said you can keep the language where you're limiting challenges, but you cannot limit rights under Section 206 because of the statutory right. What's the site to that? Uh, it's uh, American Electric Power East. Thank you. And then how does the um, 5C tariff addendum, that catch-all provision, affect what you just mentioned with respect to going under 205 and then under 206? So what, what 5C does, 5C is, is limits the types of challenges that can be raised under the, under the, during the formal challenge process. Because what happens is FERC approves the, the formula or the template. And as we talked about, inputs each year are updated based on cost of the utility that flow through that formula. And it 
5C limits the types of things that you can raise during the challenge process. One of the things you can't do, as Counsel for FERC explained, is you can't challenge the template itself. You can challenge the input, but not the template. I was wondering whether this challenge falls under 205 or 206. I was thinking 206, and then I came across this opinion by Judge Williams, who is a great FERC expert, said it seems more accurately akin to a continuance of the 205 proceeding because the annual update supplements the utility's initial 205 filing, which is simply a formula without the necessary inputs. Do you agree with that? Yes, yes. I think that's the Northern Virginia Electric Co-op. This proceeding before us is just the back end. It is a culminate finishing up the cleanup on the tariff. I agree with that. I don't know that I would characterize it as a cleanup. I think it's a supplement to. Fair enough. With respect, I believe it is a supplement to the 205 process, right? And that's what happens is the. So you bear the burden of proof. That is absolutely right. For the annual update process, when the inputs are provided, they're posted publicly. If a challenge is raised, the burden then falls on the utility to justify the costs that have been challenged by the party. You bear the burden of justifying the formula on the front end, the inputs on the back end. That's all 205. That's correct. They can challenge under 206. They can make the fair and just argument for under 206 for going outside the refund period. So this is really all about who's going to bear the burden of proof. In part, that's exactly right. It is about who's going to bear the burden of proof. And if you think about the challenge process, and I know I'm out of time, but if I could. If we have questions, we'll. Okay. Thank you. So what I just want to say to that, if you think about the way the challenge process works, it's the way the formula rate process works. Once the challenge process is complete, it's no different than a 205 case, right? Once the commission approves a rate following Section 205 of the Federal Power Act, it determines that rate is just and reasonable, and it stays in place. And the only way to challenge that is under Section 205. The same concept, logic, would apply to the finality. And are these invariably separate proceedings under 205 versus 206? Like you can't argue 205. And in the alternative, I'm challenging under 206 in one case. Is that correct? You could, I guess. You could try to raise a challenge under 206. You would bear the burden if you were going to raise 206 challenges. So if you filed one pleading raising a formal challenge and you filed a complaint on top of that, you would bear the burden. So it would be, you know, it's a different type of pleading. You'd have to have more evidence depending upon what the issues are. So practically speaking, you wouldn't do it in one pleading because it's different, different standards, et cetera. I would say maybe you could. You know, it's possible. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Back up. The podium is getting a workout this morning. I'd like to address two points. First of all, the citation to the MISO cases. As we explained in fair amount of detail in our brief, the case that has been cited to you is the case on rehearing. What was the issue that was before FERC on rehearing? 
customers did raise the backward error correction issue in the earlier case, but FERC didn't decide it. FERC instead decided to, quote, retain the requirement that the interested party submit an informal challenge, that would be a preliminary challenge, to the change protocol, in order to raise any issue of a formal challenge. And then at paragraph 35 of the hearing, FERC summarized that argument and then agreed with it. So the claim that this has already been decided just isn't true. It's a new issue for this court in this particular case. Now, section 5C, which actually applies to the toll costs issue, whatever the limitations there might be on customers as to what challenges they can bring, there is also a protocol, section 5F, obligation on the part of the utility to justify its particular cost items. They can't do that if those cost items are not used in use. Also, an independent FERC obligation under section 5 to make sure the rates are just and reasonable. FERC can't do that if the costs are not used in use. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. The case is submitted.